All right. Well, here we are uh, jumping into Second Peter, and it's it's probably a book that we're honestly not that familiar with. Um, and I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's just because of the size of it. It's it's only three very short chapters. I thought about um, just reading all of them, uh, just reading the whole book with you this morning. That's how it would have been um, preached or read uh, in these contexts, that this is basically Peter preaching to these local churches. And someone would have just gotten up there and read it, uh, maybe made a little bit of commentary of, for context, that kind of thing. But this was how it was done. And so I was thinking about doing that, but um, I didn't. Maybe we'll do that uh, some other time. And, and honestly, because what I'm going to be getting into today is just two verses. And so I thought, oh, man, I need a little bit more uh, context or a little bit more meat to this. But as I got digging into these two verses, wow, there's a lot here. So Second Peter. All right. This is this is again, I don't know it. It, again, is it overlooked because of that it could be there's a little bit of scrutiny over um, the authenticity, which I'll get into that as well, which I know that can be kind of boring. And yet I want to make sure that when I'm preaching the word of God to you, that I actually genuinely believe that it is the word of God. And so I want to make sure that that's that's a thing. Um, when we look at first Peter, uh, there was a quote that I used a lot uh, regarding that book from Martin Luther, where he said it's a paragon of excellence on par with Romans. And, and just right here in these first two verses, we're going to see some just deep theology from the Apostle Peter that that is, again, in complete unison uh, with the Apostle Paul in Romans. And so I want to be doing that. I, I'm also excited because as your pastor at Lower Town, other, other than some topical series, which we've done, The Waters We Swim In, uh, Hey, I Have a Question, I'm Okay in Jesus, um, as far as books that I've gotten to preach through over the last three years now at Hope Lower Town, we spent a long time in Exodus. I think it was 32 weeks, right? It was 52 weeks in a year, so most of a year in Exodus. We did Job and we did Nehemiah, and now I've done nine of 150 Psalms. Um, and the only New Testament book that I've preached through as your pastor has been First Peter. Um, and so it's just kind of cool to just end it here, right, and just the next one, just finish off. Uh, the works of Peter, the apostle. And so, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to be able to, to jump back into the New Testament. I feel like it's been a long time, but I know it hasn't been. I mean, I know we get to the New Testament every week, but really walking through a book, I'm excited about this. So this week's sermon, I just entitled it Greetings. I could entitle it First Impressions. Um, this is just going to be Second Peter. And so just forgive me if I keep saying First Peter accidentally. We are in the book of Second Peter. I will be addressing First Peter every once in a while because there's a little bit of overlap. But we are in Second Peter and chapter 1 and just verses 1 and 2. And first impressions. First impressions mean a lot. They mean a lot to, to everybody. I don't care who you are. When you first walk up to see somebody, your brain automatically, it's a psychological thing. Uh, for me as a man, it's always like, I could take them. I could take them, right? That's my first impression, right? And sometimes, most of the time, it's like, yeah, no, I don't want to get in a fight with this guy. Um, I don't want to get in a fight with anybody. But that's just, it's just you size people up. That's just what I do. Um, there are, are things of whatever, right? Where, where, where do they live, right? Just these things. I remember when I first, I transferred to um, my third high school when I was in, in high school, um, I went to one high school for my freshman year, a different high school for my sophomore year. And then I ended up for two years, my junior and senior at one school in, in Schaumburg, Illinois, kind of a Northwest suburb of the of Chicago. And, and I remember when I first walked in, it was they actually, there was a church kind of a, associated with the school 
um, was Bethel Baptist Church, and it was Schomburg Christian School. But I went to a church function first. And I remember I walked into like the youth group area and one of the the youth workers uh, walked up to me, didn't say, hi, my name's so-and-so or what's your name? They walked up to me, you know, I'm six foot two and I was maybe uh, 160 pounds, maybe if I, if I was lucky. And they walked up to me. First thing they said to me was like, hey, uh, you know what weights are? <laughs> it was like, yeah, I do. I'm sorry. I have trouble putting weight on. Um, now people say the same thing to me, just for the other other reason. Um, <laughs> right. That's that's first impressions. And so that's what we're going to get from Peter and what he's going to do, like he did in this first book. He's laying his foundation. He's going to say everything that I'm about to say is right here, just in this opening statement. And it's really cool. And so, again, we're just doing two two verses. And so so when we do that, uh, the way I do it, at least, is I want to do more of, of a word study zero in on some of these words. What do they actually mean? Is there a little bit more depth to this coming from the Apostle Peter than maybe as we would just read and go, okay, that's great, but is there more to this than than meets the eye, right? Peter goes a little Transformer style on us. All right, 2 Peter 1, 1 through 2. I'm just going to read these two verses, and then we're going to look at some things, all right? So he says this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. That's it. All right. That's what we have to work with this morning. And man, there's a lot here. I know it doesn't seem like it at first, but there's a lot here. Okay. So who who wrote it? Um, like I said, um, like I said, that there is... Uh, uh, the author, right off the bat, boom, Simon Peter. Okay, so Simon Peter, that's actually come under a lot of scrutiny. There was actually, I mean, I read a lot about this. This is the hard part as a pastor is when you do all this research, I got to go, what's important, right? What's important for you to hear uh, from me after doing all that research? Um, and I do think this is important because I want to make sure, that, again, like I said, that we know and believe that this is the word of God. And I'm actually going to go just in these two verses, we're going to see a lot of text and a lot of proof that I think I really do believe this is Peter. I'm not just saying that, but there's a lot of scholars out there that say that. But over the last 100, 150 years, uh, Peter's um, uh, authorship has, has been a little bit uh, under scrutiny simply because of the content of the book that they're saying, man, Peter doesn't seem to have this robust um, theology of Christ or Christology um, that that it seems like he's getting a little bit more work based um, when in his faith, and I and I completely disagree with that. As we're going to look at today, is he going to talk about hey, my love for Christ should manifest itself through good works? Yes, of course he's going to do that. That's the whole Bible does that. Um, so yes, he's going to do that. But but the some of the scholars are saying this sounds a little bit too Catholic. This sounds like maybe somebody, and there, there's a root word here, and I don't even know how to pronounce it, pseudepigraphy, pseudepigraphy. Uh, so it's pseudo, uh, P-S-E-U-D-E-P-I-G-R-A-P-H-Y. It's like this genre of literature that was written as if it was the person, but but not written later. And they're saying that this is this sounds a little bit more Catholic theology in that um, 
uh, that I need to do something in order to, to, re, to get enough faith, if you will. And I totally disagree with that, um, as again, we'll see. So most likely this was, I believe, and a lot of people believe this was written actually by Simon Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ in uh, the mid 60s, right towards the end of his life. Um, okay, so let's move on. Who is it written to? Well, uh, he doesn't get into the specifics like he does in First Peter. And that one, he says to the uh, people around pseudepigraphy, pseudepigraphy. Thank you, Nolan. I always like having people smarter than me listening uh, to, to me. Um, kind of makes me feel dumb, but at the same time, it, it increases all of our intelligence. Um, again, this is going to be bad when we get back to the church because people are just going to be like, uh, but I, man, I can't wait for that. All right. Um, okay, so he doesn't he doesn't go geography like he does Pontia, Galatia, Laodicea. It doesn't do all that here. Um, all he's going to do is in chapter three. So Second Peter three one and two, he says, "Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you into wholesome thinking, and I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles." Okay, so he's he's saying this is the second letter. So we can assume this is going, it's going to circulate probably in the same regions, the same churches. And first Peter is written to the Gentile church. This book also is written to the Gentile church. Gentile meaning just not Jewish of uh, ancestry, of ethnicity. This would be anyone and everyone but somebody who was, who is Jewish. And again, we can look at this right off, uh, right in the beginning of the book where he says, you've received a faith as precious as ours or, or as equal uh, in, in our privileges, right? Well, okay, well, who's the our, who's the us? That would be the, the Jewish community. He's saying, well, we, we got all of these promises. And he's saying, now you Gentiles, every other nation are joined into that. And so that that's going to be who he's writing to. He's going to be writing to the Gentile church. Guess what? That's us. All right. So I've got a quote and I actually read the, pulled this up from my, the PowerPoint from when I first did my introduction in first Peter, um, and this is a quote from Karen Joes. She's actually quoting uh, Wedland uh, from one of his books. So again, it's kind of a quote and a quote and a quote here. But he gives seven scenarios, right? So if you look at what's the point of the book, what is this book all about? I'm going to read this quote. He just kind of gives seven things, okay? He says, um, uh, Paul's letter, she quotes him saying, Paul's uh, Peter's letter addressing seven distinct problems in the Christian communities, problems resulting from various responses to social Pressure. Okay, so one, physical and psychological pressure. Now, in Second Peter, he's not going to get as physical with the pressure or the persecutions. Um, a lot of it's going to be internal, uh, outside of the church, but also mainly inside of the church. Uh, social ostracism and include and exclusion. Uh, three, potential pull from the former pagan way of life. Again, because he's addressing the Gentiles. Four, a surrounding seductive non-Christian worldview, five, tensions and inconsistent behavior within the fellowship, six, spiritual doubts about the reliability of God's promises and the future. He does that a lot. He spends even more time in Second Peter, even though it's shorter, talking about end times and what this is going to mean. Um, and then the last one here, seven, is Satan's constant deadly temptations and trials, um, which that one, he's not going to spend a whole lot so much in Second Peter. But then the quote ends with this. It says, when identified in these terms, the problems Peter addresses are just as real in the churches around the world today as they were in first century Asia Minor. Okay, so again, I know that was a quote about First Peter, but there's a lot of overlap here. 
Um, he's addressing the same crowd, the same audience, but it's almost shifting from an external persecution now to an in to internal persecution within within the church. Okay. Um, all right. So what's this book about? I think if we could summarize it, it's a book of warnings. It's a book of warnings to God's church, to God's people that are holding fast to God at his words, the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the apostles to say, this is what I want to hold on to. There's going to be some warnings. The first one is going to be against false teachers. And this is going to be second Peter chapter two, one through three. And so uh, these verses in particular, again, we're going to spend a whole week looking at these verses, but I just want to read, this is the warning uh, that he's going to be giving us. Uh, one of the warnings at least, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And this is timeless, right? So yes, he's writing it to this first century churches in Asia Minor. But again, like what we just read, this is very practical, right? Um, this right here, what I'm about to read as your pastor keeps me up at night. This is what keeps me up at night right here. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will, ex will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. As a pastor, as a teacher, I don't want to be a false teacher, right? I want to, as your pastor, preach the whole counsel of the word of God. I want to rightly divide the word of truth. And so that means I don't study in a bubble. That's I'm not the expert, right? I've been studying the Bible for a long time, but that's why I go and I look at other commentaries, not just one. I look at several. And I don't just look at the ones that I agree with. I look at other ones that to, to stretch me and to push me, right? And, and be able to defend myself against other viewpoints. And, and I want to be able to do that. And I don't want to back down from hard theology. I don't want to back down from hard sayings because it's there for a reason. All right. So again, it's a book of warnings. And I'm telling you, this book is a warning to me, uh, specifically when it talks about false teaching. And it's a warning to you to make sure that you keep me in check as well, to make sure that it's not, you know, don't just take everything I say for granted, right? That means I don't want an email every single week. I mean, you can do that. Not that when you write an email, it sounds like that. that's not what I meant. You know, that's not what I meant, I think. Right. But you got to you got to check what I'm saying as well. OK. All right. One of the things that he's going to talk about and he's going to talk about it at length is denying the final judgment. And I'm not going to even read those verses um, right now. We'll get into that in, in several weeks. But denying the final judgment to say that, that the false teachers, one thing that they're that they're coming out with saying is there's no there's no end judgment of this. Right. Like, yeah, follow Jesus, but do whatever you want to do. Right. That's that's a really bad way to read the scripture. Uh, it's a bad way to read anything that Jesus said or any of the apostles to say, oh, there's no final judgment. Therefore, I can just do whatever I want. That is a logical conclusion. If there is no final judgment, if Jesus doesn't make everything right at the end. What are we doing? What are we doing? Right. This is not just some self-help class to make you a better human being. This is to see that you would be transformed into the image of Jesus, period, and fall in love with him more and follow him as Lord. And if you're following him as Lord, we can't just live licentiously. We can't just live however we want to live. That's not what we're called to do. Now, do we live under the law? No, of course not. 
All right, let's keep moving along here. Who is Peter? I'm not going to dig into this a whole lot, simply because if you go back to 1 Peter, the introduction to 1 Peter, I spend probably half of the uh, sermon, at least the material and the, the time that I went over, looking at who is Peter as the fisherman, as the apostle, as a one who denies Christ and one who who's going to, you know, help and be handed the keys to the kingdom, if you will, to, to, to start the church. Um, well, I'm not going to get into that right now. What I want to focus on right here is what he says, that I am, uh, verse one, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay, so Simon Peter here again is another proof that uh, this is actually Simon Peter. This he actually refers to himself in the Greek here as Simeon. Uh, which which was a, a phrase, a word, Palestinian word, that to, 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 in, in our English translations, it's Simon, but it's actually Simeon, which is used a few different times uh, in the Bible, um, but it was only used in the first century, that that word Simeon was never used in the second century, that some of, of the scholars say, oh, this couldn't have been Peter. I think I think that's another proof to say no, this this was. He refers to himself as that, as and he was referred to himself as Simeon multiple times in the New Testament. All right, he goes to say this: a servant, um, and this is doulos. This is actually slave, um, not chattel slavery. When we think of of Africans uh, being taken over here like cattle, uh, that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying I am a servant, but a better translation would be slave. In other words, Paul is submitting himself, he is submitted under Christ's authority, and he has no authority on his own other than his master saying, Jesus. All right, he is a servant, that this is actually a phrase, this the servant or the slave uh, language was used for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Samuel, Paul, James, Jude, right? It suggests humility, but also honor. That this, that, that this language is, is suggesting here. All right, so it's uh, Simon Peter, a servant, a slave, and an apostle. There's a few different times where apostle can actually be used as a, as a missionary uh, or a messenger. We see this in Romans 16, 7, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 23, and Philippians 2, 25, where it's someone being sent out to go plant a church or to be a missionary or something like that. That's not what Peter's talking about here. Peter's talking about an apostle. I have been directly commissioned by the risen Jesus Christ to preach to you this message. All right, so he's saying, this is not just my opinion here. This isn't just me as Peter the man or Peter the fisherman or Peter the disciple of Jesus. This is Peter writing to the church under the authority of Jesus himself, these words to you. All right, um, and so, and again, who's under, under whose authority? He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. All right. This is when you do this, is why you do word studies, you start to kind of just look into this a little bit more and you kind of pick it apart. And again, find a good translation, right? We use the NIV at hope and, and I will continue to do that. It's a very readable uh, version of our of our new of our Bible. Um, and yet there's I'm about to say some things to say, ah, man, there's actually better translations uh, when you do a word for word study. Um, and so someone asked me a question, I think it was a couple weeks ago, I actually used the, the uh, NASB, a New American Standard Bible, it just as a little bit more literal um, in the actual from Greek to English. So if you're doing a word study, get a good NASB, get an ESV, 
Um, but if you just want to read for reading, I, NIV, it's fantastic. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So what's what's he saying here? Uh, when we get to this next, who is this book to, right? Who's this written to? It's to those who have faith in Jesus. Second so Peter 1, we're looking at 1B here, just the second half now of verse 1. And so what I've done in my notes, if you have in your PowerPoint, you can kind of see a little bit of a diagram, but I diagrammed this out. To, to just see, just follow Peter's thought process here of what he's saying, okay? So he's saying, to those who have received a faith, all right, that's who he's writing this to. He's saying, Gentile church, to those of you who, who, who this is now as equal to me as a Jew, to those of you who have received the faith, again, Gentile church, who through the righteousness, and we looked at this just a couple weeks ago, what does righteousness mean, right? It's, it's, it's rightness and justness jammed together, all right? Righteousness, right? And just, right? But what is, does he just leave us hanging there, right? Does he just say, to those who have received a faith through righteousness, well, whose righteousness? Is it, is it my own righteousness? Do I have to do something to, to earn this righteousness, to earn a good standing with God? Right? It's just kind of like, he's not leaving us hanging, right? Tell us more, Peter. Come on, man. Preach, preach, brother. He says, who, though to those who have received a faith through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this is cool. All right, this was one of these things that this week as I was studying was like, whoa, I never, I never read that way before. Because when I read this verse, and I would probably, especially write that initial uh, greeting, that initial, uh, uh, what is it called? What did I call it before? First impressions. Um, this, the, I just would read these verses, right? It's just the introduction, man. Listen to what he says here to those who have received a faith through the righteousness of our God and savior, Jesus Christ. Did you catch it? He actually calls Jesus Christ God. That doesn't happen a whole lot in the New Testament. It happens in John 1, 1, 1 John 1, 18, John 20, 28, uh, Romans 9, 5, Titus 2, 3, 15, sorry, sorry, Titus 2, 13, and Hebrews 1, 8. That's it. That's only time, and, that, and that's not just it. I mean, it's Hebrews, uh, Paul twice, John three times, and, and Peter here, where they say this is not just Jesus. He's not just a good man. He's not just a good teacher. He is God. He's God. And this is a Jewish man who said, there is only one God. He said, yep, I get it. There's only one God. He does the same thing in 1 Peter, where he talks about God the Father through the, through the Son and blessed by the Holy Spirit. All right, he's, he's equating the Trinity right there. And here he specifically calls out our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, don't just take my word for it. So let me read Thomas Schreiner from the New American Commentary, uh, 1 and 2 Peter and Jude. He says this. Now, again, he's going to get kind of nerdy here with the Greek language, but... I don't want you to just take my word for this because he's actually going to, in a little bit here, split them up. He's going to say uh, uh, the knowledge of God and of Jesus, right? There's a, there's a different way that it's worded in the Greek, okay? So he says this, the grammar clearly indicates that Jesus Christ is called God in this verse. The structure of the clause um, accords uh, with the famous rule of G sharp. Yeah, you guys are all familiar with the famous rule of G sharp. I took, I don't even know, 20 credits of Greek. I don't know this famous rule of G sharp, and it's a name, G period sharp, not the, um, 
not the musical note. Although I don't think there is, is there a G sharp? Yeah, I don't know. Either way, um, yeah, here's a G sharp. Doesn't matter, yikes. Uh, that when two singular nouns, which are not proper nouns, fall under the same article, they refer to the same entity. Okay, so that there's a lot there, obviously, that I don't fully understand, right? Uh, even though I've taken a lot of Greek, there's something there that when the article is not two pronouns, okay, that when there's the article is 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 defining two nouns, it then goes to both. It's the same. It's God and Jesus. Okay. All right. It's God and Jesus. God is Jesus. Jesus is God. That's what he's saying here. Now, why is this important? Because and I think I use the same analogy illustration in first Peter. Peter's building his foundation and his foundation is Jesus. And it's Jesus explicitly is God. And then as we build up the walls and, and we, we put furniture in there and we paint the walls. How should we conduct ourselves in this world? Well, we conduct ourselves that way in this world because of the foundation that we have in Christ. It's not a book about good works, right? And again, that was the critique when we look at uh, other people saying, I don't think Peter wrote this. This has a little bit too much Catholic theology in this. It's not a book about good works, right? Or a righteousness that produces faith, as we're going to see really right here, which is which is really cool too. But a faith, it's a faith that gives us righteousness. The faith that gives us righteousness of Christ. It's not faith that just gives me my own. I have good faith and therefore it produces my own good righteousness. It's a faith that gives me the righteousness of Christ. And then, and then it motivates me for good works. Then it motivates me for right living and living the way that Christ taught us to live and the way that the apostles have taught us to live are because of the foundation that we have in Christ, in God. All right, this is, this is kind of fun. So to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith. Okay, all right, this is fun. The word here, received, is the same word translated other places that is by lot, okay, uh, by a lot or by chance, if you will, um, right? But by lot was a kind of a rolling of the dice, okay? So in Luke chapter 1, verse 9, there's a, there's a priest by the name of Zechariah, and he gets chosen to go into the temple and burn incense, all right? So he would, he's an older man. You're only allowed to do this one time in your life as a priest, there would have been hundreds of other priests that would have been serving in the temple, especially in Jerusalem. And guess what? Whose turn is it this year to go light the incense? Well, let's roll the dice. Boom. Okay, narrow it down to this chunk. Roll them again. Boom. Okay, okay, roll them again. Boom. Zachariah, you're the guy. Go do it. One and done. That's it. You don't get another chance to do it. It's called it's called a lot. Okay, it's 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 rolling the dice. This is used by picking Judas to be an apostle, Acts 117. Um, this is what the Roman soldiers do. They cast lots um, to get Jesus' garment in John 19, 24. And so he's using the same thing here. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have been give, given a, a gift, right? We had nothing to do with this. Nothing. It was completely out of my control. This lot that I received, it's a gift. What Peter is saying right here in verse 1 
is you have a faith from Jesus, or excuse me, you have received this gift. Now, what is the gift? What's the gift here that we receive? You have received this gift of faith. To those who have received the gift of faith given through the righteousness of God slash Jesus. What Peter is saying here is I cannot muster up faith to believe in God. I can't do it. Now, to those of you who would say, but that doesn't sound fair. There's nothing, nothing about redemption that's fair. Not one thing. That God, Jesus, died on the cross for my sins? My sins? That's not fair. The fact that some of us are saved and others aren't? That's not fair. I don't. Here's what I do know. What I do know about my God and my Father and Jesus and the Spirit, to those of you who say I lack faith, right? It's one of my favorite verses. God, I believe, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. It's something I got to pray all the time. God, I don't, I don't know if I have enough faith for this thing going on in my life right now. Give me faith because I can't, I cannot muster that up in myself. I can't just pull myself up by my bootstraps. It doesn't make any sense. God has to give me that gift of faith. I cannot produce it. And that's what he's saying. You've been given this gift of faith through the righteousness of Jesus. And then the last thing that he says uh, in verse 1, verse 2 won't take as long, I promise. But he says, as precious as ours, this faith that we've been gifted as Gentiles, as non-ethnic Jews, is as precious as theirs. Again, this is where a good translation will help. This word precious, it's good. It's not like a bad translation or anything. Okay, You can, you can trust your, your New Testament. When I hear the word precious, and when I think about my faith and righteousness as being precious, to me, that's an emotional, it's an emotional thing. It's, it's precious. I value this thing. A better translation would be more in the sense of an equal standing. All right, that, and that connotates a little something different. That's that's now a physical thing, right? Equal standing. All right, I think I think what our country needs right now is to read this and to say the gospel is the hope of the world. That there is equal standing under Christ. And now that I believe, what can I do then to go and influence my world for that way? He says this: I am a Jewish apostle. I am Peter. And two thousand years from now. There's going to be some guy sitting on a computer preaching to his church in a pandemic. Guess what? Equal standing. This is Peter. Everyone listening to this, you believe in that same Jesus as God and have received that free gift of faith? Oh, man, I just did my own pet peeve. I hate when people say free gift. Gifts are free. It's redundant, redundant. Anyways, this is us. Equal standing with Peter. Because of anything I've done? Because of anything he did? No, because of everything that Jesus did. Okay, moving on to verse 2. Peter says this, Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, if you have First Peter memorized, that should sound a little bit familiar, because that's how he opens uh, the first book. First Peter 1, verse 2. This is Second Peter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. But he stops there in the first book. This, again, I think is another significant factor to show that this is actually the Apostle Peter. Because if I'm writing Sue de Pigafribi, um, 
I'm not thinking about, I'm going to, I'm probably going to copy Peter's intro word for word. I'm not going to add something to Peter, right? That's not what happens. Peter adds something here because he has the authority to do that. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And how do we get that grace and peace, Peter? Well, let me tell you. He says, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And here he's going to split those two. Okay, so it doesn't, he doesn't follow the G-sharp rule uh, here. The knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The knowledge. And so the last point that I want to really hit home here, church, think. We can think about this. We can reason about this. We can use the, our, our minds that God has given us and gifted us to really intellectually think about our faith. Right? I, I quoted uh, Stephen Hawking. No, not Stephen Hawking. Richard Dawkins um, on my podcast. This well, It's coming out tomorrow. Where he talks about faith is a great cop-out. Hebrews says, no, faith is the evidence. Faith is proof, right? If I've got this faith, again, Peter says the same thing. It's a gift. I couldn't do anything to get that. And if I do have that faith, what then now can I do about it? And I think we can defend this faith with knowledge with our intellect, not just with, well, it's what the Bible says. I think we can dig into this. Now, is the Bible says a bad argument? No, of course not. But I think that we can logically work out some of these arguments that, that Peter's going to make. And he's actually going to, talking about the end times, people are going to make fun of you. You said Jesus was coming back. Well, where is he? They were 50 years removed from all that. Here we are 2,000 years later having to have the same arguments. Peter's actually going to end the book. So the bookmarks, book, not bookmarks, the, the beginning and the end. He's going to use that same phrase, okay? Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And the very last verse, how he goes out, signs out last words that we have written by the Apostle Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So, that's Second Peter, right? I'm, I'm excited. I hope you can tell I'm excited. There's just something about, I've, I've got a you know special place in my heart for, for the Apostle Peter and for the book of First Peter. And you heard all that last time. Um, this is just getting me fired up again uh, to, to preach through these books or this book, uh, these three chapters, short little chapters, but we're going to spend a little bit more time walking through some of these things. Just a gospel application. What can we take away from this this morning? One is, are you still dependent on your own righteousness? Right, I think what the Apostle uh, Peter is doing here when he's talking about this, he's talking soteriologically. Okay. He's talking about salvation. He's talking, do I believe in Jesus to be saved? Right. That's what he's, yes, that's what he's talking. We've been given that gift of faith, but yet this idea of pursuing righteousness, because he's going to spend the remainder of the book saying, okay, now that our foundation is in Christ, how ought we live and reflect the life of Jesus without falling under works-based religion and still staying in faith, in freedom, but not to licentiousness of saying, how do we do this? And that means my righteousness on a daily day, but day-to-day basis cannot be of my own. Can't be. It has to be of Christ and his finished work on the cross. Because I will always fall short. I will always fall back to my depravity and do what I what I want to do in my flesh. And then finally, do you intellectually think about your faith? Right, I mean that. I mean that. 
do do we think do we reason do we just blindly accept what i say right if you're if you're listening to me um steve trickler downtown minneapolis you know my boss he's he's said this multiple times and i've said it this sunday morning thing shouldn't be a meal right it happens all a lot uh, and i've heard it i just don't feel like i'm being fed right now it's not my job to feed you right this should be an appetizer to get us started for the rest of the week right this should just motivate us to say yeah man this is good i want to learn more about this and i know it's not always every week that we feel that way right but do we intellectually think about our faith right cuz this i'm telling you right now the bible's not a blind faith it's really not and so what can we learn about that let me pray and then we will enter into a time of communion we can do it a little bit differently this morning just um uh, well, I'll talk about that in just a second. Let's pray together uh, as we enter into time of, of communion. Father, thank you for this time together. I thank you that, that we can pray to our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, your son, who you sacrificially gave, the son whom you love, that you gave and that he died, he shed his blood so that we wouldn't have to, so that we would inherit his righteousness and not our own that we would receive that gift of faith, that that faith has been offered and all we have to do is accept it. So God, would you help those that are on the fence, help those that are just, don't get it. Would you give them that faith? Would you help them pray for that faith to be able to believe in the risen Lord and Savior? Would your spirit convict and just don't even let them sleep until they're ready to give their lives to the living Savior, Jesus Christ? God, we thank you for all you're going to do in our time in this uh, this book of Second Peter. And um, we pray that uh, you'd receive the honor and glory, that your son would be magnified, your spirit would be present in our studies, and that we would intellectually think about uh, what it is that we believe and why we believe it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.